Hello and welcome to Slogging It. Uh, I'm John O'Gordon, your host, alongside Simon Roberts. How are you, Simon? I'm very good, thank you, mate. How are you? All right, all right. Back in London, which is uh, nice. Warmer than Nottingham, uh, it must be said, but a hell of a lot more expensive. And uh, you, you, how are you doing, mate? I am stupendous, thank you, John. Thanks for asking. Good, good. very good, very good. Um, so today, following on from uh, Toby Tarrant, we have decided to up the ante in terms of guests. Uh, and we have jo- joining us today, as in laughing at me on the screen already, we have the football-loving social media icon that is Mr. Max Rushton. How are you, bud? Uh, hello. Yeah, uh, the voice of Gaviscon is is how I like to be known. <laughs> oh, although, although, yes. although there are rumours, there are rumours that um, I've lost that gig. I, don't, I mean, I, I get tweets saying I've seen a Gaviscon advert and you're not voicing it. So, I'm currently in a like a real trough professionally, career wise. <laughs> but I, it's unconfirmed. I still may be the voice of Gaviscon, and if I'm not, um, it's it's a huge letdown for me and my family. So would that make you the little white fireman then? Because yeah, I must yeah. admit, I, I did see a Gaviscon advert the other day and, and thought, I don't think that's Max. Um, so so, so the cartoon firemen are, you know, they are a big part of the advert. Obviously the twins, it was John and James. It then became Tim and Tom because John and James priced themselves out of the indigestion market. And uh, But, but the, the one consistent thing has been me voicing heartburn and indigestion, which many people say is sort of apt. <laughs> for, for some reason i don't know why but yeah who knows i mean it's up in the air at this stage i'll, I'll let you know by the time this pod goes out either way have uh, have rennie come in for a big money transfer maybe offering well know. listen i'm a one club man i've uh, look, I, I grew up a gaviscon fan I, always, <laughs> I wanted to be gaviscon for life but but obviously things move on in the game and if peps abysmal or rennie have something to say I'm open to offers. <laughs> brilliant. Well, uh, not the, the start to the, the pod I was <laughs> expecting, but brilliant all the same. Um, so, I mean, thanks for coming on, Max. Obviously, uh, you, you kind of know what a little bit about what it's about. Obviously, we'll talk yeah. about cricket, your involvement in cricket, a bit of mental health stuff, which I know you're passionate about. But getting straight into the cricket side, um, right. what drew you to a game uh, as, a, as a junior? You got any family members that played? Like, what are your first memories? Well, I, I'm just a really huge fan of um, when some when when Shane Warne came on the scene and everyone at school decided to become a leg spinner. And so when you're in the net, no one could do it, and they just threw the ball on the top of the net. One of my favourite things to do in life is to waddle down the net and hit the ball back on the top of the net. Not, not quite get enough of it, so then you have to waddle all the way to the end to just tip the ball back up and then walk down to the end and do it with the next delivery. Um, it, no, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day because obviously I grew up and my dad was a massive football fan, still is, and, and, and got me into Spurs and Cambridge United. And cricket almost came up by stealth. So I don't really remember. Obviously, just cricket was just on telly when it was on. It was free to air. And, you know, you just had test matches sort of happening. And test match special was on the radio. And they were talking about cakes and all, you know, Aggers and Johnners and that kind of thing. But I never really, I never really remember sort of loving it as a kid. But I always played it. You know, I was sort of of that era where you had those gloves with the green you know, like the green little pimples like offered actually less protection yeah. <laughs> than if you weren't wearing gloves. You know, they spread the pain evenly around your hand. Um, and I, 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 you know, I just sort of remember having to play it at school, but sort of quite enjoying it. 
and so it, it's I, it was sort of I feel like my real love for it came later and came later okay. sort of at, at university and then afterwards sort of playing village cricket and then going to the Ashes in Australia in in 06 and and then sort of going in 2010 and going to cricket you know here and it's sort of 2009 I think I went to the Oval for one Ashes game. So I sort of don't, as a child, I remember my dad just telling me how much, how good David Gower was in the same right. way he does with Jimmy Greaves uh, as a footballer and just saying he, like he was so good, he'd nick balls that other people would miss. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it was a different kind of thing. It was a sort of, it was a stealthier um, sport than, than football in sort of how, how important it was to me as a, as a kid, I think. So when you say, we'll come on to, I know there's a great story about the day that um, you were at the MCG, that famous day when England bowled Australia out for 90 in the morning. Um, and most English fans you'd think could stick around for that, but you've got a slightly different yeah. experience of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I met my wife on a volcano in Nicaragua, um, obviously. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a classic romantic story. Yeah, exactly. It's a classic romantic story of, you know, love at first sight for me and love about four and a half years later for her. And as part of what I would call the courtship, other people might call it the sort of stalking process. I flew to <laughs> Melbourne for, so she is from Melbourne, right? And and I and I had like, the way the Saturdays hit during, so I wasn't allowed a Saturday off during the season when I was doing Soccer AM, but the Saturdays hit so I could get 10 days off. Like it was Christmas Day and New Year's Day or something like that. And so I booked my flights to Australia and then Heathrow froze. It was that year that Heathrow froze and I couldn't get there. And I was like, and I remember I got, I got a, it was a really weird day where I think Graham McDowell had been on Soccer AM that day and Rory McIlroy was meant to be on, but couldn't get here because of the snow. And I said to Graham McDowell afterwards, I said, look, I think my flight's going to be canceled. So I'll have nothing to do if you want to go out later. And he was like, all right. And I didn't know him. I didn't know him at all. Right. And I don't really sort of go out with, famous people ever and i was got to heathrow i got the tube and it broke down i got a mate of mine to pick me up at acton town and drive me to heathrow the traffic was a nightmare i got out all the flights suddenly were cancelled i got a lift back to wembley with this family who were trying to fly the body of their uncle back to lahore right (laughs) and so Fortunately, they didn't. They didn't bring the body back to Wembley, <laughs> oh, it, right? They just left left that in storage at Heathrow. So then I got to I got to Wembley. Then I just got the tube back into town, and I went out and got hammered with Graham McDowell. <laughs> and then the next day, I they, I found a new flight which could get me to Melbourne on Christmas Day. So I landed Christmas Day. I went to see uh, my now wife, who was working in a cafe that morning. She looked a bit bemused. She knew I was coming. <laughs> like it wasn't like, like that odd. I said, I've got tickets for the MCG. She looked like she did not give a shit. Uh, we went to uh, the MCG on Boxing Day 2010. She hates cricket. I just wanted to impress her. We did the uh, Herald Sun crossword, left before lunch, <laughs> and just sort of went out that evening. She got spooked that someone like 10 years older than her had flown across the world for four days. She fucked off. I, um, I was out with a mate going, that's a bit weird. Like I thought she was sort of keen. She's disappeared. <laughs> Spent two days with my friends in Melbourne having a nice time and flew back and thought, well, I'll never see her again. But if, you know, the story carries on that like I kept turning up in whatever part of the world she was in until it was easier for her to go out with me. And then 
she moved here uh, seven years ago. So like it, it all worked out. But yeah, I did miss quite a good bowling performance from uh, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson that day. I'd like to apologise to them. Personally, yeah. We'll see if we can sort that out. Mm. <laughs> um, going back to kind of school and stuff, you, you mentioned briefly um, university and playing a bit of university. You almost were awarded an Oxford Blue, I believe. Oh, no, no. Well, well, no, no. That is the prep talk we had. I might have overstated that. <laughs> Absolutely nowhere near <laughs> to get in a blue. But I did play, I played college cricket and I'm a sort of decent batsman until the bowling gets fast, right? And then I just, I just, it's scary, right? And I, and, and it's all right if it's like a bowling machine because you know, and you've set it to half volleys outside of stump. But if the bowler has a choice of where to put it, he might like bowl it short. And I'm not interested in that sort of game for me. Too pretty. Protect the moneymaker, right? Not, not really. No, just too scared of a, <laughs> of a hard of a hard ball. So I played a lot of college cricket. I think I was 12th man for the second team, one, the university second team, but like nowhere near good enough. But we did, I played college first team and second team, right? And the first team was pretty good level of cricket. The second team was like the football team just having a laugh. And we used to do this thing where there was, a, there was okay, so during, at the time, Neighbours had a cricket team, right, on Neighbours. And uh, obviously we were students, so we just watched Neighbours all the time. So we each played a character, and I was Joe Scully. And I would, <laughs> I would keep wicket, I would keep wicket with a fake beard on backwards, right, to, like, to, to make the mullet. Um, I don't think we did the accents, but we're, like, we were a bit annoying. I like, you know... And and what we did was when we when we opened the innings, Dan Joseph, who is now like a an app billionaire, he uh he'd open the bowling because he was the only one who could bowl it straight, right? And I would take a uh, an orange out of my pocket and we'd throw it around the field, and he'd bowl an orange, right? And the key was to bowl it straight, okay? So he'd bowl the orange, and he if he bowled it straight, their opening bat, who was normally so second team opener was like not very good at cricket, but had really good kit, right? So he, would, he would like play a forward defensive and the orange would smash and he'd get really annoyed because we'd covered his bat in orange juice. And uh, and then we'd apologize and we'd have a cloth and we'd, 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 like, we'd say, sorry about that. Okay, let's get on with the game. I would then take a red delicious out of my pocket, right? And we would throw it around the field and each of us would shine it obviously if you're not really concentrating it looks like it looks like a, a cricket ball <laughs> so then dan would have to bowl the second ball straight and this was key and he'd bowl it straight forward defensive this apple would like split like would just go everywhere <laughs> and we were like honestly we thought we were the funniest people in the world and, and like looking back now i feel like a massive twat and i apologize <laughs> to all those openers but once there was once where he bowled it just outside the off stump their opener left it i took it Back round the field again. Honestly, we could, not, we, we could not control ourselves in excitement going, there's no way, there's no, there's literally, like, honestly, it really, and there was a lot of swing on that apple. And it was like, oh God, please let this happen. And then he bowled it straight. And I would probably say that is the greatest single moment of my life. Brilliant. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, thinking back now, I, th- I've, I feel it was, it was silly and I'm a more mature person 20 years later but yeah it was a lot of fun Brilliant. i was gonna say i got my first ever century playing for keble college second team and uh normally we retired at 50 but i think we'd lost a couple of early wickets they were like oh you better stay in and so i 
I got 101, retired on 101. We're sitting there at tea. I've never got 100 before, right? And it's, it's hard to get 100, even, in, even at a really terrible level of cricket because you've just got to be there for quite a long time. And uh, we're sitting there at tea and their scorer comes up and goes, um, you got 91. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, it's, sort of, it's, it's quite a confident time to retire, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, I've had enough of this now. 91, <laughs> that'll do. Um, Amazing. So that was a blow. I did, so I have one official career century to my name for Ashwell Cricket Club um, in, it must have been the early 2000s. It's in the Cambridgeshire League. And we played Steeple Morden. I think one of their bowlers was over 15. <laughs> and I, 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 I was caught for 101 at long on. And I think they had eight, eight fielders in the mid-on, long-on arc by the, time, <laughs> by, by the time I got to 101. But yeah, it was honestly like really great thing. Sort of a, it's a great hat box to have ticked in my life, but I was never, yeah. I, you know, predetermined shot selection. I can only play it on the leg side. I want to sweep the third ball, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not there for a long time, that's for sure. So what was Andrew Strauss's reaction to your uh, technique? Mm. Yeah, I shared a stand of seven with Andrew Strauss for the Lord Staveners. I stole one of his jumpers that I still have. You know, <laughs> slightly disappointing, slightly disappointing sort of polyester feel to it, actually. Um, yeah, I wasn't in there for long. It was really upsetting because I hadn't played for so long. And you know, if you're out of Nick, you just you just can't do it. You know, like you just forget how to do anything. And I think I hit one four, you know, to mid on, obviously, and thought, ah, I'm feeling this. And then I just just bowled by it might have been that it might have been the guy off location 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 is that the not like johnny irwin it might have been i'm not sure i think hey. it was someone who does a property program bowled me and i was very upset because i just thought i really could do with getting a, a hundred stand with andrew strauss it would just be a nice thing to achieve but to be honest i scored quicker than him i got five of the seven he did nice. get like he did get like 120 not out but i feel the stand of seven, it wasn't enough time to really get to know someone, I would say, in the middle. But, I mean, you, you've taken a moral victory there, though, right? Um, in in some ways, yes, but in most ways, no. No, right. Yeah. I, I hope you weren't bowled by Johnny Irwin, because I've played a couple of games of cricket with him, and he's possibly the worst cricketer I've ever seen. I mean, However, it's, possible. it's possible. I'm not a great player. That is he, he is a future guest uh, okay. to, to talk about. Uh, he's very few wickets and that conversation may reappear so uh, we, we shall wait and see um, obviously football is, is what people know you for uh, Soccer AM um, did that for what eight years was it? Um, seven 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 years uh, looked like a huge amount of fun and obviously great relationship they had with Helen I'm sure to this day uh, 1 to 11 uh, Premier League podcast with Paul Merson what's the kind of favourite ever project you've done uh, and who are this, some of like, the real amazing people that you've had the opportunity to work with well obviously the fa my favorite projects are the ones that i'm currently being employed for because, <laughs> great uh, answer great answer just in case bosses are hearing this um i, I i've been like incredibly like really lucky i think it's interesting I, I broadcasters are sort of i think presenters are quite a weird breed in that they're very um you know you've got to have a certain level of confidence but everyone's got a really fragile ego sort of underneath it and um, they all sort of pretend that they're really pleased for everyone else doing well. But actually, there's like a massive amount of professional jealousy. And I, 
I I have this sort of ridiculous level of professional jealousy where I watch anything and think, well, I could do that. So I like that could be X Factor or Newsnight. And then I <laughs> then I have to like take a then I have to take a step back and go, but I probably wouldn't want to do either of those. Like I don't want to do either of those things. So I sort of have to like check myself quite a lot. And I think you have to be so lucky, right? There are there are there are so many incredibly talented broadcasters that sort of just for whatever reason don't get anywhere and you know there are lots that aren't great who do get somewhere and you know it's for other people to decide <laughs> whether I'm one of those um but yeah like soccer M was like a sort of life-changing thing for me right I was doing local radio and I I was doing the breakfast show on BBC London and I sort of got that gig for two weeks because they couldn't agree terms with Pat Sharp I think that's true oh wow and then okay. and then seriously they just Pat kind of Sharp. forgot yeah, 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 I know. And then I, um, I, I think they just sort of forgot I was there, and I did it for about a year, and then and then they got rid of me because I wasn't really famous, and and Paul Ross replaced me, my nemesis. And <laughs> yeah, Batman's got a nemesis. Good to have one, and he's a very nice bloke. It turns out. So I sort of made a show reel, and I sent it off to everybody, and I got a bit. I got a bit of work at Talksport, just doing the Late Show. And I was sort of covering for James Whale, who just got sacked. So like every text message was, where's James, you parasite? And, you know, like just sort of, that was about six weeks of that, including the greatest, one of the greatest text message messages I got going, I don't know who you are, mate, but you've got the personality of a breeze block. And we, did like <laughs> a, we, did a, we did a two hour phone in on what's the worst inanimate object to be compared to. And we actually, like a breeze block is pretty, one, it's pretty shit because it's, it's sort of, it has a use, but it's it's not even heavy. It it looks, it it's a really useless thing, really. You know, like plastic bag was up there, but probably more practical on a day to day <laughs> basis. So I, so I'd, I'd sent this show reel off to everybody, and everybody had ignored it. The Travel Channel, except the Travel Channel and Sky Sports, right? So BBC One ignored it, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, blah 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 blah. And the Travel Channel got back in touch and just said we think you're a bit boring. Like, you got a valuable <laughs> feedback, but it was like, oh, it's wow. a bit of a blow, isn't it? That's a Cheers. bit of a blow. <laughs> and Sky Sports rang me and just said, look, we think we've got something for you. Come in and have a chat. And so I went in and I met these two old blokes. And at the time, I didn't know who they were, right? They were the two guys, Rick Wakeling, who sadly passed away, and, and Andy Melvin, who built Sky Sports from like a porter cabin wow. to this behemoth right and i just hadn't done enough research on who these guys were and i sat down and we talked about cambridge united for an hour they asked me about soccer am and i'd been a fan of the week in 2000 like in no the stand in my kit with my mates and they must have been going wow lower league fan ticks a box and i was thinking i don't know why they're asking me about this i'm just looking for like the 10 pin bowling or something just something to pay the rent right you know like anything like i just need a job and then they like like a month later, I met the producer for like lunch at Cafe Rouge in Chiswick. And I was like, he's not really giving a lot away, but he didn't tell me to go away after like 20 minutes. So we sat there for an hour chatting about stuff. And I was like, well, maybe they just want like an out and about reporter or something anyway. Because I'd never been on telly, right, ever. I'd done like, right. I'd done a couple of bits for Inside Out London, surprising stories from your region. And I'd done <laughs> Canary Wharf is Bright at Night. Uh, Brilliant. The rush hour is busy, 
and you can buy and you can buy drugs on Camden High Street. They'd put me in like a secret camera, and I'd gone to buy drugs on Camden High Street. And I've never bought drugs or taken drugs. I'm like a massive square, and it was such. It was like the the worst casting. I was like, there was me walking up Camden High Street asking drug dealers, just sort of going, "Have you got any drugs?" And if they had a follow up <laughs> question, if they were like, they were like, you know, do you want four grams of this? I didn't know what any of it was. I'd be like, uh, I have no further questions, Your Honor. Let me run away from this. It's like the shittest investigative journalist of all time. Anyway, so I'd done no television. And I and I sat, and a month later, they rang me and they said, look, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I've got an audition for Blue Peter. And and I, I don't know where that had come from, right? I just agreed to <laughs> deal with an agent. I'd got an audition for Blue Peter. And they were like, can you get in before that? And I was like, okay, I'll get in before Blue Peter audition. Why not? Right? And so I got up in the morning and I read the instructions for Blue Peter. And it said, bring in a prop that says something about your life. And I was like, well, I don't have a prop that represents my life. Who has a prop that does that? But a couple of years before, me and a friend had, he'd sent me an anvil through the post because we thought it'd be funny for the postman. An anvil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no one's ever seen an anvil except in cartoons, right? You, the, it's either swallow it and have a funny shaped neck or a flat head, it lands on the head. So anyway, he'd sent me this anvil from America, right? It was like, cost him $20 to buy and $80 to send. And we were like, okay, thanks. I've got an anvil. Always wanted an anvil. And so I put this anvil in a bag and I got on the train to Sky Sports and I walked into this guy's office and he sat, I sat down and he went, look, I want to talk about Soccer AM. And I said, okay. I said, yes. And he went, would you like to do it? And I'm there going, there's been no audition, right? There's been no pilot. There's been no screen test. I'm like, yes, please. And then he said, what other work are you going to do this year? And I said, oh, well, I won't do anything. I'll do this. I'll just focus on this. So you give me, you know, so I get a contract the year after. He went, I'll give you a two-year deal. You know that Heineken advert where the guy's like playing <laughs> yes. the blues and this guy comes out and says, I want to sign you champagne caviar, but it was like that. It was like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Right. And so, and then he, then he talked to me for like half an hour about, I think whole city had just won the playoff final. Dean Windass had scored that amazing volley. And, and I hadn't really seen the game because I was just out with some friends and I was like, Oh God, I was like, I just need to get out of this office as soon as I can, because I just don't want him to realize he's made a massive mistake. Like this clearly is an administrational fuck up. I've not had an audition. I've not had any kind of, there's just no, like I can't have been offered this job, a two year deal to do this, right? It's completely ridiculous. So I left, I walked out, you know, it's down in Isleworth, right? And I walked out and there's this like this, you know, there's just the sort of long road with all the cars parked on it. I rang my agent. I said, look, I've just been offered a two year deal. I said, you'd agreed the terms. I didn't want to talk money because I'd have done it. I literally would have done it for a pound, right? I had no idea. And, um, he was like, I said, look, do I have to go to the Blue Peter audition, right? Because I don't want Blue Peter. Like, I've just got this. He went, look, you have to do it because you never know. Um, contracts aren't, until they're signed, they're just, you just don't know what's going to happen. So then I got the train up to TV Centre, right? Bearing in mind, I'd never done an audition for anything in my life. I'd never done any television, right? So now I'm sitting in a room, right? I'm sitting in a room with like, there are 10 of us in this audition. And there's these five sort of 25-year-old girls who all look like TV presenters. Um, and they're all super, like, excited. And there is, like, these five 23-year-old blokes who all just look... They all look like they're in, like, boy bands, right? They've all got, like, amazing swished hair. 
They're all so trendy, it hurts. And and I'm already graying, right? I've already got like, <laughs> I've already salt and pepper. Like I'm completely gray now, but like I've already salt and pepper. And I'm sitting there going, there's no fucking way I can do Blue Peter. Look at me. Like, I don't fit in this room, right? And they've all got like, to represent their life. They've come in with like photo montages of their life and all these amazing things. <laughs> and I'm sitting there holding an anvil, <laughs> holding an anvil, right? And I'm thinking, this is a weird day. <laughs> so, so I'm in the audition and they're all really nervous and I'm not particularly bothered, right? I was incredibly nervous two hours before, right? I'm just not really that fast. And, and I'm, I had to learn the history of Lego, right? So I'm learning the history of Lego. They give you 20 minutes to learn the history of Lego to do a fun, like one minute piece about Lego. I'm thinking this is weird, right? Then my agent texts me and says, this is what you're getting paid for year one and year two. Now I'd never earned any money in my life. And this wasn't millions of pounds, but it was like the first time I'd ever been paid sort of money in my life, right? So I get this text message, right? Which says the amount of money being paid. So, right, I literally, like, my mind is just fucking racing. Like, I cannot explain. Like, it's just completely baffling. I just, my mind, I just don't know what to do. I, like, I, you know, like, I'd worked really hard to get, like, it wasn't, it didn't come out of nowhere. I'd, I'd like, worked really hard. I'd had local radio. I've constantly made demos and had pilots at Radio 1 that were rubbish and Kiss that were rubbish and Absolute and all these things. And I kept, like, getting knocked back. And I was like, oh. And, like, and then suddenly I'd sort of had this moment. And then... Then I have to do some this this. Then they're filming with like a super soaker, right? And we're talking about the history. It's something about water pistols, and it's full with water. And I'm standing <laughs> next to this girl, and I just say, "I don't know anything about this." And I literally just unload this water <laughs> pistol into this poor girl's face, right? <laughs> it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so, like, like she realised it was a joke, and she sprayed me with water, and it was all funny. It was fine. So then they offered me the job, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or I think I got to the last three. They said, would you like to come back for the last three? And I said, I'd love, I'm going to gratefully turn this down. And like bearing in mind, like the, like six weeks before I had no real job. I had a spot on the end of my nose bigger than this one. You can see now. (laughs) Like it was such a bizarre, it was such a bizarre day. Right. And, and like, I've had, I've never had a day like it before or since, you know, other jobs have sort of come up and you, you sort of think you're in the mix and you get them or you don't get them. And I remember the the head of Sky said, look, don't tell anybody. Right. Because we haven't, you know, we haven't told Andy who Goldstein who did it before me and we haven't told Helen Chamberlain and we haven't told the production team or whatever. Just don't tell anybody. We'll sort it out on Monday. That evening I'm in a pub with my friends. Right. And, uh, my mate Clive was getting married. And you know, before you get married, you sort of taste beer to choose the beer you're going to have at your wedding. Yeah. Unlike any other day when you just go to the pub and you go, what have you got? I'll have that. Like, nobody cares. You don't care on your wedding day, but it's like a thing. So we're tasting these beers for his wedding. And after the third pint, I just sort of said, I've had a, I've had a strange, <laughs> I've had a strange <laughs> day, lads. <laughs> um, I know that wasn't really the answer to the question, which was who was the best guest you've had, which is obviously Mr. T. But it's a good story that <laughs> yeah, probably, it's a brilliant I've probably I've told on about a hundred other podcasts. So, like, sorry if you're hearing this for the millionth time, but it was like it was it was a story that I think if you don't work in the industry, you think happens a lot. I think yeah. you know, like these big break moments, and I don't think they do. I think genuinely that's sort of a really rare occurrence. 
but it was a wild, it was a totally wild day. And I look, and, and I'm so grateful to them because they took a real chance on me that, that lots of people didn't and, and, and they didn't need to, and they didn't need to persevere with me because I was rubbish for a good year and a half of it. Cause I was just too nervous. And it, it, was life changing like totally life changing and all the other opportunities that i've got have come from that so like it was it was it was yeah it was like what a show to what a show to learn on right like there's no better place to learn because um you know it was really unforgiving if you if you mucked up like the boys were behind the camera jeering at you you had no you know you just had to get on with it and helen's a brilliant broadcaster but she was just like right get on with it she wasn't like she wasn't like over, she was just like, you'll be fine, crack on. And that was actually the best thing for me, I think. Happy days. Um, so before we go on to the kind of more serious stuff, um, yeah. I, having a look through your website the other day, <laughs> yeah. and uh, there was a, I, the thing that interested me most was the merchandise section. So I had a look and thought, oh, yeah. Max, Max is a mate. I, you know, I do what I can to support him or whatever. I'll see what I can get my hands on. But as it turns out, it must have been incredibly popular because there is nothing left. <laughs> Do you know what? Like my mate, like one of my best mates made that website when I thought I needed one, I don't know, 15 years ago or whatever. And I just think we were drunk one night and just thought, wouldn't it be funny if we pretended that I sold merchant? Like who who, the, who on earth would buy Max Rushton merchandise? Like nobody would buy it. So we just put up this page with like, Drum kits, none available. <laughs> USB sticks, none available. Egg and cups. Egg cups. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it was just a stupid, it was an evening where we just had fun mucking about. And I, I probably more fool me because like, I suspect like other one, other people do have merchandise and probably make money out of it. But I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. You know, like people sometimes describe you as a brand. Seems yeah. very strange. I just can't, I can't bring myself to sort of take that step you know and and although you are on pringles and dolmio like uh package yeah well. yeah well occasionally i think we mentioned dolmio on the radio and then one of their pr people hears it and then the next thing you do you get sent it's not here this is not set up i i had this here for a joke you know <laughs> you get sent <laughs> the jar of dolmio with your face on it i mean it's it's ludicrous but but yeah i uh i, I Try and stay away from thinking that I am a brand. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I did pre-warn you about this, but obviously you've not seen these questions. Uh, thankfully, you've agreed to do it in support of the Lord's Taverners. The five questions, yeah, so each, each worth two quid each. If you get them mm. wrong, you will get them all wrong. I'm pretty sure. I've right. I've, I've designed them. Um, but each week, one of the uh, hosts has to match uh, the the guest donation and that is uh, i lost at rock paper scissors today so that unfortunately today is me so i wish i'd have made them a bit easier as it turns out um but anyway here we go question right. one yeah. what it max rushton what is your name no that's obviously not i was just so i okay. can save some money uh, okay, right man. it's all about cambridgeshire cricket because that's where you grew up big big yeah minor county or national league cricket or whatever they're calling it these days right so here we go when did Cambridgeshire last win the Minor Counties Championship? Um, <laughs> what word? 1984. Close. 1963. Two, two quid in. Strong great year, year. A great strong year, year, wasn't it? Yeah. What is the name of Cambridgeshire's 
three-day captain? Um, uh, Tom. <laughs> do, you need, do you need a surname as well? No, no, Tom will do. It was Sam Rippington, but close. I think, uh, you know, um, I mean, these are literally uh, the worst, the worst questions ever. But it's about raising money for charity, so we'll just, okay. we'll just crack on. Um, yeah. Who was the player of the year in two thousand and nineteen? It was day. It was uh, no, no. It was uh, it was Harry. His, no, it was his mate, Wakas Hussein, but close oh, again. You're doing yeah. much better than I thought you would. Okay, fine. This one's quite an easy one, I think. Where yeah. did they, where did Cambridgeshire play the majority of their home games? Which which club side? Oh, they're not play they're not you share the uni ground. They're not play at Fenners. Okay. Not, not um, Fenners, it's a club ground. Uh oh I do know I think I should know this, but I, I don't know. Cantabs. Oh no, Saffron Waldron. Saffron Walden. Why are they going? Walden boys. You don't want to mess with them on a night out. They're tough. Tough, tough breed, yeah. are they? Yeah, yeah. That's four, four from four. And finally, where did Cambridge have finished in the Eastern Division in 2019? Out of 10? Seven. Third. Oh, well done. So um, Strong performance. Well, yeah, yeah, so there we go. £10 in, Mr. Rushton, matched by my £10. Okay. So that is a uh, that is twenty pounds racing its way off to the Lord's yeah. charity, uh, Lord's Taverners, who are our charity partner. Uh, and just before we carry on, here is a quick note from the Lord's Taverners. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. So, uh, so Max, on the subject of, obviously, you, you know about why we started to run this podcast to shine some lights on some pretty tough issues, mental yeah. health and bits and pieces like that. Uh, which I know is something that you're passionate about and want to kind of shine a light on. Something that we discussed yesterday in prep for this was, you know, you in your position as, you know, celebrity broadcaster, however people want to see it, like you, uh, uh, probably more so than some others, I guess, have been a victim of some kind of online abuse. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting and I think it's a really important subject and, and I think what's good is that people are much more comfortable talking about it and I... Um, and I think people are start, starting to understand that, you know, um, how seriously they should take it. And also that, that I think even, I don't know, even 10, 15 years ago, I kind of thought that you were either absolutely fine or you were having a mental breakdown. And there was sort of no, there was nothing in the middle. It was a totally, there were no gray areas. It was just sort of totally black and white situation. And that's clearly nonsense. Um it's interesting from my point of view as somebody who has never really struggled with their mental health at all. Um, you know, touch wood, I've, I've sort of, I've, I've sort of had a really quite boring, happy existence. I've, I'm quite a simple person. So I wake up, 
I my wife is there and I think I like you and that's great. And then I think I really like peanut butter. So I go downstairs and I eat some and then I have a nice day. And, <laughs> and it's sort of, and I, and I actually, you know, although that's sort of, uh, you know, sort of facetious, it's actually kind of, I think, I, I think you're lucky if you, if you just have a disposition, which sort of you wake up and you're just sort of happy to be there and to sort of see what that day brings. And so I think what's been really useful for me to listen to a lot of people is to sort of understand that life is not like that for everybody. And it's not just something bad happens. You, you know, you're sad about it and then you get over it. It's, it's much more complicated than that. Like from my point of view, I, I, you know, I have had, and, and I don't, and I'm not alone. I don't think there's any broadcaster, you know, who doesn't get sort of really, really sort of foul abuse, you know, up to, I wish you were dead. Normally, normally the death threats are quite passive. So they're not like, I'm going to come and kill you. They just wish I was dead. So that's not as scary as I guess somebody sort of threatening to kill me. But I do, you know, I think you, you develop a thick skin anyway, but I've just never, it's never bothered me. Right. And there are like the talk sport message boards, you know, half of the people listening love your show and half hate it. And that goes for pretty much anybody on that network. So if you want to see the funny messages, you have to see the horrible ones. And there are some yeah. presenters who just don't, who just turn it off and don't want to see it. But I just don't care. Like, I just think it's fine. If somebody's going to say, I hate you, you've ruined my life. These are the only two hours I don't listen to. You sort of think, wow, that person really is really, I mean, in many, you can do like, my boss is telling me not to read it out, but I quite like reading out and thinking, look, if you're listening to this 24 hours a day, it's good to have two hours off. You know, yeah. that's sometime you can get some chores done or you can have a sleep or, or just have dinner or talk to your family. Like it's just never, you know, it's never sort of high achievers that are trolling you, right? Yeah. It's never people. And I think what's interesting is we all, um, I find it really weird that you would go out of your way to tell somebody you don't like them. Like you yeah. just wouldn't do it in any other line of, of life. And, and I obviously, there are TV shows that I think are really terrible. And I, you know, and if they come on the telly, I like to switch them off and I will tell my wife, I don't like that person. I don't like them. But I'd never go on to like, we're all, you're allowed your opinions. People are obviously allowed to think I'm useless, right? That's totally fine. And they were allowed to tell me, I don't mind, but it's weird that you would. Yeah, yeah. It, it's weird that you would take the time to 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 get someone's Twitter handle, and say, I think you are awful. I hate this thing. You're, you know, and. But I just don't. I just think it's really funny. I, I, yeah. And 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 that's and and it, what's interesting is I used to retweet a lot of abuse. I now do it much less because, there is just so much hate around. And it doesn't seem, and, and kind of if you bite, even in a kind of, I don't care about this way, you're sort of doing what they want. So I yeah. I used to just retweet it all the time going, you know, Dave's not happy when he's just like absolutely slaughtering you. Um, and now I'm much more likely to mute people because I just don't think you need to, you don't need to like spread more hate around when there's so much of it. And and I think I think where I'm really lucky is, Twitter didn't exist really when when I started Soccer AM or it just started. It was not a big deal. Yeah. And I think I think I would have really struggled with it then because I wasn't confident in what I was doing. Now I'm confident in what I'm doing. I just don't care. But I think I would have really I remember sort of searching out Soccer AM message boards and it was quite hard to find a message board and to see what people thought. And now I'm much less bothered. I think it would be really, really hard for people starting out now. Like 
just really hard and 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 so um like that was lucky for me but right now i like i just don't care i think if you're confident in what you're doing i just don't think it matters but some it, it affects people in really different ways you know i think it's really interesting there that you know people absolutely have a choice whether they listen to something or turn it off and i think if they then decide to listen to it just to try and then almost ruin someone else's day by then forwarding on this abuse then that makes it you know i i just i don't see that kind of i i just don't have that mentality myself so i, I don't know if you I think it's something that's really interesting, like when because a lot of people I was until two years ago probably um, I was on these people when you used to hear the reports about kids and stuff on Facebook and Twitter and the people getting um, abuse on that, and I've I've always wondered just went well, don't go on it. Then. Mm. Like for me, it was a simple thing, but I, I then sort of went through my own problems and started talking to people about it a bit more, and 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 didn't know where to go with it because for these people for the youngsters certainly and for, for like you max like a lot of the positive reviews you might get might come through twitter and might a lot of the reason you're popular is because you are prevalent on twitter um and for youngsters today a lot of the way they communicate with their friends might be through facebook or through social media so it's a difficult balance to strike isn't it and it's it's more for me about that one where and like you say max you've come all your way of dealing with it um which is how can you manage sort of both things where you're getting what you want out of it mm. but managing to shelter from what you don't i think that's a really good point i think for i think for kids it must be a nightmare you know because like you know when we were eight if you didn't get invited to the party well you didn't know what it was like you just didn't get invited now you see all the pictures from it or maybe eight i don't know 50 you know teenagers it must be really really hard and mm. actually i think what's interesting about social media is like I don't think it would be a stretch to say that I'm addicted to it in a way that it's so habitual for me that I will, you know, why am I checking Twitter when I'm on the toilet? Like, why am I, why can I not like walk five minutes down the street without checking it? Why, you know, interestingly, I haven't felt the urge to check it while we're doing this podcast, but I've like deleted it from my phone because it's like, I don't need to be on it all. This is a bit different to the abuse. This is just, sort of addiction to social media or like how how prevalent it is in 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 everybody's life now it's just like trying to find time to to not be on it and and to be present and to not have your phone on you every minute of the day i think yeah i think it is really difficult i think i think i think it's probably similar to professional sports people that that we don't really view them as as people and i think we don't really view the people on our TVs or coming out of our radios as people either, really, you know, you, that they're performing a role for you, which is I want to hear about the football or I want to hear about the cricket or I want to watch, you know, Strictly. And you're not thinking, oh, well, that person still, you know, has a love life and has a house and has to fix their Wi-Fi and or have someone to fix their Wi-Fi, you know, has to get the person to fix their Wi-Fi for them or whatever it is. And so you do... Um, so the position I'm in at this sort of Z list level, I don't really, I sort of, I sort of see it as I have an insight into that world rather than being in it myself. Mm. Um, rightly or wrongly, that's just sort of how I view it. And, and, and it just makes me think I really would hate to be at, like genuinely famous, like not being able to go about your daily routine and not being able to sort of 
not being able to do anything or go to things without people sort of stopping you all the time and all that kind of things. But I think that I think that's genuinely part of it. People online are not really thinking they they would just act differently if they saw you. You know, I, I can I think once or twice people have been rude to me to my face about my you know okay. professional ability or not. Yeah. And it's definitely it's definitely more than that on, on social media. This whole be kind movement I found really interesting this year because I think a lot of that is aimed at that social media thing. Obviously the dreadful thing where Caroline Flack felt that yeah. felt that, you know, it necessary to, to take her own life because of the impending court case and whatever. I think that, you know, people refer to them as keyboard warriors. I, you know, I, I think they probably don't understand or realise the upset. I mean, you obviously deal with it quite well. And it's got almost water off a duck's back. But, the, you know, the, there are a lot of people who obviously do take it to heart because I think they may see social media as a way of almost, um, it's almost like a justifying themselves through positive reinforcement, if you like it. But then mm. when it does turn on people, then it, it can become a bit of a monster. And, it, you know, there's been a lot of instances, haven't there, where we've seen, you know, people in the spotlight get so much abuse that, you know, it, 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 it sends them into some pretty dark places. Yeah, and also I think people who it's not gradual for, like like mm. people who sort of instantly find fame on 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 some show or some you know something where they haven't sort of worked their way up. It's just like bang, you're in the only way as Essex or something. I don't know what or X Factor. You know, those reality shows are a great example mm. of it. You know, the talent shows. Ten weeks ago, no one knew who you were. You've done ten live shows. You suddenly got a million followers you know, everything's going great. And then suddenly, you know, half people don't like you. You're suddenly dealing with this. And then you, you know, how, how lucky are you depending on the people you've got around you to sort of explain that it's not really real, right? A lot of TV mm. isn't real. A lot of TV is kind of, you know, the way it's edited or whatever. And we can all get sucked into that. You know, they want to make heroes and villains. If you're made into a villain, is that really who you are? But people sort of believe it. And then also, you know, if you think about, Love Island or or X Factor or those kind of things, you know, you are front and centre, and you have suddenly you've gone from naught to a hundred miles an hour, and then a year later, there's a whole new set of people, and you're yeah. just like you're that you were last year's, and 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 like you might, you know, some of them had really successful careers, but some of them are just disappearing, and then you're like, how do you cope with that naught to a hundred to naught? Whereas mm. for me, it's sort of like naught to five to seven to nine back down to seven again just sort of pootling along it's a much more sort of gradual sort of process of no one really you know no one really knowing who you are you know and so it's been much easier i think for me to deal with it and also it happened quite late right i was i've done loads of local radio and i was sort of 28 29 so i sort of had my mates and i yeah, yeah. you know occasionally would get invited to sort of like some big those big charity dinners and things and think wow you know i'm sort of part of that do on a red carpet and once and then i'd be like what am i doing like this is i don't want to be anywhere i'd much rather go to the toucan and have a guinness with my schoolmates you know like 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 and that's not trying to sound normal for trying to sound normal sake it's just i'll have a better time doing that you know so that's actually leads us on to something that's really nice it kind of slightly going more towards the lighter side i was i was watching something uh, with you on yesterday, an Instagram live video that you did, and you were talking about being kind of mid to late thirties as you are now, um, early forties, yeah. <laughs> um, and the the thought of going into a nightclub uh, and what that does to your 
um, yeah, personal headspace. I mean, talk us through it. Well, I, I mean, I never liked them anyway, right? I mean, they're just so noisy. But I, when you're 20, you sort of have to pretend. And you have to pretend that you really want to be in this place. And I, I, I'm sort of designed that I fall asleep at 11 p.m. wherever I am. So I've just I've fallen asleep on too many speakers and not been able to hear for two weeks. And, and, and you know, now, <laughs> just whenever I see a queue, like we, I, live in, I live in sort of Shoreditch, which is like super hipster London, and I'm not cool enough for it. And sometimes like me and my wife will go out for dinner, cocktails and dinner and be walking home at like 8 p.m. Like that's how early it is. <laughs> and people are starting to queue for things. And you're like, what? what are you queuing? You're like, what you think, it's, it's never going to be in there. What in, you're never going to find it. What you think is in there is never going to be in there. You're desperately trying to convince the person with the clipboard and the earpiece that you're important or you're on some guest list that you're not on and it's like this real, I'm so desperate to get in and get like a sticky plastic glass of beer for 15 pounds and then just hear <laughs> this noise, which is just like, they never play any music. And I, and I felt this when I was 20 and like obviously wanted to sort of wanted to be cool. And now I just am so pleased I'm not inside there and, you know, it's quiet and, and, I don't know what this is. I don't know how this is about cricket, but I, you know, I suspect most cricket fans would agree with this sentiment. Yeah. You know, maybe um, maybe there's a Venn diagram of people who love the Hacienda and go and watch Lancashire, uh, you know, <laughs> playing the NatWest Trophy, if that's still a thing. God bless the Hacienda. There's a classic link to uh, cricketing nights out and the old team night out that you have, isn't there? When you've got the slightly more senior statesmen that's out there going. Can we not just go to the local booze well, and have well, that's it. pints of real ale? Yeah, so like when we have a – I still play amateur football and, and uh, I've just signed for the vets, but I've been playing with like 20, 20-year-olds for a long time. And, and, you know, on a night out, I'd be in the pub and then when they go off to the nightclub, I would swerve it and go to Waterloo because it's down in South London and I'd get my sort of one McDonald's for the year and get in a taxi and get home with my McDonald's, put it on a plate, and eat it properly <laughs> and they're all like queuing to get into some club i've no interest in getting and i'm just like this is heaven now i'm going to regret this in about five minutes time but right now this slightly tepid big mac is the greatest <laughs> thing in the whole world amazing you're not old enough to eat it with a knife and fork well i think about it I, you know I'm, I'm i'm not denying I'm, I'm not denying that i've never done that um <laughs> Football Weekly is your current thing, your current project. For those mm -hmm. that don't know, uh, who haven't maybe experienced your amazing work to this point, uh, if they did want to tune in, where could they find it? What would they, what would, it, what would they expect to, to kind of hear and get out? Of it? I hate you say, you, know, you don't have to sort of like, I've, I've done the podcast now. You don't have to like butter me up and like, <laughs> like big words about amazing. Like it's too late now. I can't, I can't delete it. Um, uh, look, it's it's. Football Weekly has been is like one of the first ever football podcasts, right? And it was started by James Richardson from Football Italia, and he built it with, uh, you know, the, the panel. And then he left three years ago, I think, and um, basically left Barry Glendenning on his own. And I did a radio show with Barry and I've done that for eight, nine years now. And so I think when when uh, <laughs> when Jimbo left, he left like a week before the season, and I was on holiday in uh, in Italy with my wife. And Barry rang me and went, Jimbo's left. If you don't get this job, you really are shit. And it was like, they had no one else to turn to. And they were like, can you do a few? And I went, look, it's all, you know, you give me it to you or you don't. And so they, they gave it to me. And I've been really lucky because, you know, I took over at a time when podcasts were pretty big, but they've sort of, 
blown up exponentially mm. in the last sort of three years. So I've been managed, sort of lucky to ride that wave. And fortunately, people are still listening to it. And we do three a week. And it is everything from, you know, the really serious stuff, you know, racism and, and homophobia and, and um, sort of slightly shady owners buying football clubs all the way to, you know, absolute disgust, uh, unnecessary away kits and, um, you know, the best overhead kick of all time, which is Trevor Sinclair against Barnsley and, you know, and everything in between. So we're, <laughs> we're recording tomorrow morning, right, you know, we're just about to have the England-Ireland friendly and Scotland are playing Serbia and Northern Ireland playing Slovakia. So we'll watch those games. We'll do the pod tomorrow. And it's, you know, whatever football is happening, we talk about it and we're lucky because people like football. So, and, 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 and for me, it's like The Guardian has got such a great set of football writers who are all brilliant at talking about it We've got extra, you know, we bring in sort of freelancers as well. So the panel is always so good. So really, I just have to sit there and go, what do you think about five times? Love That's it. the pod. Yeah. It's, it's like the perfect present, perfect work for a host, that, isn't it? Exactly right. You don't have to do anything, but you get all the glory. Um, the best proposal in history, I'm convinced. Uh, I heard this on, I think it was shared on Twitter a few months ago before we met each other. Uh, can you explain how you proposed to the now Mrs. Rushton um, yeah. having chased her all around the world? Of course. So we always do the Guardian. We like to do the Guardian crossword every morning in the cafe when we were allowed to go to cafes uh, in the G2, the quick one. We're not good enough for cryptic. Um, <laughs> and so, and it was before I worked at the Guardian, uh, for some reason, the editor followed me on Twitter. So I direct messaged her and said, look, I'd like to propose to my wife with the Guardian crossword. This may be a ridiculous suggestion. Had you know is there a way of making that happen and so she said oh email this guy hugh so i emailed hugh who writes the crossword at the guardian i said look hugh i'd like to propose to my wife she's called jamie j-a-i-m-e so what about you know like one across i like in french two across proposal will you marry me that's you know and like just let me know when if it's possible etc etc he was like yeah we can do that i was like okay great and i was like well listen i i um i wanted to get my wife's family over, you know, um, and like my, my wife's mum sadly passed away 10 years ago and, and, and I had her engagement ring. I'd, and, and so I hadn't had to buy an engagement ring. So I thought instead of getting an engagement ring, I'll get her family over to London. So we'll, I'll propose and then we'll go to a cafe and all her family will be there. She hates surprises. It would have been a terrible idea. Um, but, but I, I, um, so I, I just sort of said, I didn't hear anything from Hugh for a couple of months. I was like, all right. And I had the ring. I had the ring for like a year and a half. I hadn't, you know, it's quite nerve wracking proposing. I'd never done it before. Like, and so I was like, okay, this, I want to get this right. And anyway, so I was like, hmm. so, so I'd let like her dad and her sister and her brother know that this is the plan, you know, and I'd give them notice and whatever. And then I just got an email on a Tuesday from you going, yeah, it's in the paper on Saturday. I was like, Oh, right. So I'm, I'm proposing on Saturday. That's what's happening. <laughs> Get your head like, around oh, it. Shit, right. This is terrifying. And so I sort of, I said to, I said to, uh, um, like her dad, look, short notice, but like, just be ready on zoom or Skype or whatever. And, uh, it was before zoom existed, obviously, cause we hadn't had a pandemic. So no one knew what it was. And, um, so on Saturday morning I ran and got the paper and I like, I sort of frantically opened it and, my wife made it went down and made a cup of tea and sometimes we do the crossword in the bed and sometimes we go out with it and i was like let's just get it let's do this now so she's like reading the recipes and i'm like can we get on and i've, I've looked at the clues and and he'd done the first letters of her name would be like the first five clues across from the left hand side 
So it was like too many clues. I, I could only solve like three of them. I was like, oh God, this is bad. So anyway, I'm like, I'm like, should we do the crossword? And she's like, why don't we just do it when we go out? I was like, oh, can we please do it? And I don't, and she was like, you're being, you're acting weird. And I obviously was because I was shitting myself. Anyway, so then we do the J and the A and then she's going around the crossword looking at other clues. I'm like, I just, I just want to focus on these ones. And so like 14 down was like a penis, like phallic just down there. And then like 24 across is like a means of execution, like electrocution. And the crossword's not no- normally like that. So I'm like, is is Hugh having a joke with me? Anyway, eventually we, we got all the clues that spelled her name. I was like, oh, look, it spells your name. And she's like, oh, what a coincidence. I was like, well, it's not really a coincidence. Do that clue. 15 down or whatever, you know, a question asked from the floor, will you marry me? And I had the ring and I said, look, you know, I can't, I garbled some words out. She said, okay. And we're still married. So, <laughs> but the nice thing is that I, I can't remember what number crossword it is, but like anybody, anybody could find it. If I could remember what number it is on guardian quick crossword. What was nice is to think that everybody did that crossword that day and had no idea what it signified for us yeah, yeah so yeah, that's yeah. you know that's sort of a cool thing but um yeah it look it worked eh? happy days and beautiful she is too i've seen her knocking that's about in the, in the back delight, of your zoom yes. calls every it's now funny and because obviously like um you know uh, jason punchin is uh is a uh, is often used as a phrase for sort of someone punching above their weight and one morning she was just like who is John Puncioni? I was like, <laughs> like, she hates sports. She like, as you know, she left the MCG. Yeah. Um, not because Australia weren't playing well, because she just hates it. But who is John Puncioni? I was like, yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, since I, I'm interested in this kind of social experiment that I'm convinced is what you're doing by offering your followers the opportunity to watch you watch stuff. I, I find social media so fascinating. And... And like, like, why would anybody want to watch anybody else doing anything really? But they clearly do. And, and so I, I actually got like a social media manager for a month to see what, what, what I should be doing. And everything I do is goes completely against what they said, right? They don't want that. What, what people really want is real genuine, you know, here's me, you know, really kind of, this is us doing our thing, whatever. What they don't want is someone sort of taking the piss. But I find it very hard to, you know, if I'm making a bolognese, it's quite funny to just Instagram live the bolognese simmering for two hours just to see if anybody's <laughs> going to watch it, right? I, I One day, I like my wife had all these, all her jewellery was like all tangled up. So I said it on Instagram Live and I said, right, I'm going to untangle this jewelry. And I'd never untangled jewelry before. Trust me, it is an absolute, this is impossible. And it took me like four, it took me like four hours. But like some people were like really into it going, you know, I can't, and it's a lot of this. I can't believe what my life has become. I'm, why am I watching this? Um, and like, it doesn't go viral, but like I quite, I think, I think it sort of goes back a bit to that. Like like famous people or any or just anybody who's giving a totally um, like overproduced version of themselves is not real. Like that is not like a, a, you know people have an image, I guess, on social media and and people want to buy into that image. They want to think that their pop stars live like that or whatever. But it's all bullshit. Like it's bullshit to a level. Like they still they still like need a wee in the middle of the night and they still have to <laughs> go to the toilet and they still don't know what to have for dinner. And they still have to say, you know, and I suppose if I am, if I'm, this is overthinking it. If I'm trying to be deep about it, it's trying to say my life is the same as your life. And if I'm not thinking about it, it's just, 
I'm I'm slightly interested to see how many people are going to watch me film a pigeon walking around a park. And you know, <laughs> I've got nothing else to do, so like, it's better to do some content than not. But yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's get. I don't think it's getting me anywhere. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a recipe for success. It's talking about your millions and millions of quid. I, I don't think so. No. However, an mm-hmm. auction of the following item might make you a few quid. And I'm really interested to find out how you got hold of it. Yeah. You own Trevor Nelson's microwave. It's currently <laughs> in your kitchen. How did this oh, come God. to pass? I've told this story. Like, I can't. Trevor will be so. He used to be my neighbor, right? Um, and uh, Christmas Day 2011, Auntie Gay came round uh, with a Christmas pudding that needed microwaving, and I didn't have a microwave. So I rang up Trevor and I said, Have you got a microwave? He said, Yeah, I've got a spare one. I said, Thanks. So I borrowed his spare microwave. And then and then I realized I didn't have enough chairs. So I rang Trevor Nelson again. I said, have you got a spare chair? He said, yes. So he gave me another chair. I gave the chair back and I never gave the microwave back. So I still Brilliant. own Trevor Nelson's microwave. There and, you go. And um, I have no, all my other kitchen appliances come from Radio 1 DJs. So my kettle <laughs> yeah. came from Annie Mac and I got my uh, toaster from Zane Lowe and the oven came from... Uh, Bruno Brooks. Right. Well, well, there you go. Yeah. So I learned a lot there. Um, so, right. Well, now we come on to the final section of the right, podcast okay. that we have called Body Line. So right. Quick fire question. Yep. yep. Uh, one word answer. You have to choose one or the other. Okay. So I'll okay. start and me and Simon will do them one by one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Red ball or white ball? Red. Lords or the Oval? Oval. Beer or cider? Beer, 100%. I'm sorry, that's not one word, but there is no worse thing than buying like two pints of lager and a pint of cider for your mate and then sipping the cider by mistake. (laughs) Valid. Very good point. Uh, Tube or private cab? Tube. TV or radio? Radio. Instagram or Twitter? Um, Twitter, probably, yeah. And finally, mm-hmm. and we will tag them in this, Helen Chamberlain or Tubes? Hmm. I mean, it's been so long, probably neither remember who I am, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it hell's bells, but yeah, they're both great. Brilliant. Uh, Max Rushton, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing hey, some no experiences. Worries. Um, um, and, please, uh, b- I would just like to thank Woodstock Cricket Bats. They're the best cricket bats that exist on earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, cheers, boys. Cheers to huge. Cheers to Simon. Yeah, cheers, Max. That was amazing. Thank you. Hey, pleasure. I mean, I'd, I'd, amazing is probably stretching it. So I'd set your bar higher. Uh, Michael Parkinson might deliver a, a bit more than he's probably been on before me, hasn't he? But you know, put your, put your A-listers out first. <laughs> It's been a joy to be episode nine in this series. Thank you. (laughs) Brilliant. Superb. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lovely time. (laughs) Cheers, mate. It's been amazing. No worries, guys. So thanks again to Max. Uh, Some great insights there into his love of cricket, uh, his work, and the mental health side of things that we talked about. Guys, if you are liking what we're doing so far on Slogging It, please subscribe, hit like, and rate us across your favourite podcast platforms. We should be appearing on most of them by now. 
Um, some amazing guests coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, but next week, we will be talking to our very own Simon Roberts about his, uh, his battles since finishing his professional cricket career, uh, which will add a huge amount of insight and, you know, covering some depth, uh, what people go through. Uh, so very much looking forward to that and Simon telling his story. Um, have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again this time next week.